And we're live here at the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neal. I'm joined by Aaron B. Koontz, the creator of the Scare Package franchise. And part two is on Shutter right now. Today. Today, yeah. Big premiere yeah. day. Crazy, crazy. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, happy to have you here. So how was uh, the premiere day? Uh, well, I didn't sleep last night, so this is kind of like my Christmas. I mean, literally, like I stayed up waiting to make sure that it showed up on Shutter properly, because <laughs> the first care package actually they had like they showed the image and it went to a different movie, and oh, really? it was I was yeah for like three hours. <laughs> And I was panicked. So I'm talking to Sam Zimmerman and we're texting back and forth, you know, and all this. So I had to, my OCD came into effect. So I had to check it out. But yeah, I haven't really slept. And, you know, one of the things I love so much is that the people that are really passionate about it are are really passionate about it. And that is the best feeling in the world when you see people connecting with the weird, stupid ideas that you have. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's been great. Today's been a wonderful yeah. day. I'd be curious if there were any reviews from the first movie who who watched the movie that it brought them to and uh, thought it was Scare Package. Yeah, who knows? I, I will say the best story of that was I made another movie called The Pale Door, mm -hmm. and there was a weird direct TV bug, and it was like the Jets-Bills game or something. <laughs> started playing the pale door and people started tweeting about it and like it messaging and it just went off there's like a reddit thread and they're like what the fuck is this movie like oh my god what is happening where are my jets where are my jets and that made me really happy so yeah well you said you know people are passionate about scare package too so how early on after making scare package did you realize oh i think this is we something we should do a part two for well, we had an idea for it, but we really didn't think it was possible. It's kind of like all the features that I'm making, we have ideas for like prequel sequels and ideas because you kind of need to have that. It was taught to me early to kind of have that fostered when you're pitching people and trying to get the money for something. So we had it, but I never thought it was viable until really the, the Joe Bob night when it landed on the last drive-in and that first week. And when, you know, just so many people came out, we were getting good reviews and people were liking it as a whole, but I, I, I just, I was like, oh my God, this is real. Like, like, this is not just this. I kept, I kept like giving excuses for it and thinking like, this won't last or yeah, yeah, yeah. But once it comes out, people won't care or whatever. I just kept, I kept coming up with these excuses and they never landed. And instead these wonderful people found this and, it took one meeting with Shutter. Like literally, we got on one meeting. It was like twenty minutes, and they're like, "I'm like, okay, yeah, I have an idea. It's kind of like this." And they're like, "Okay, yeah, we're in." That was it. <laughs> like that was it. And I was like, "What? You know, <laughs> this is how easy this can be." You know, and yeah. and uh, I guess their one note was to change the title though. The original title was T O O Too Scared Too Packaged. And uh, they were like, no, even that's too dumb. Like you can't, <laughs> I was like, well, that's the point though. Right. But, uh, but that's okay. That's okay. But yeah, I'm so delighted with what Shutter did and that they believed in this weird thing. Yeah. So how did you come up with the, the new subtitle? Well, I mean, look, I think the original title of Scare Package was Tropes. That was it. And then, but then I realized some people didn't know what that word meant and they kept saying troops and stuff like that. So, but then I'm like, look, if you're doing something about horror tropes, then the movie itself need the title needs to be a horror trope. Mm -hmm. So those like punny chopping mall, selenite, deadly night type of titles. So we needed to lean into that. And then when it came to the sequel, 
there was something fun about again that's also a very tropey kind of title you know this rat chad's revenge is a very you know there, there's a lot of examples that are in that kind of vein so that was fun and then also what i love is that for folks who haven't seen it they don't really know what that means you know it's like what does that mean like what is his like what does this mean in the context of this and and i think uh you know we kind of go through a few different iterations of what that could be so that that made it a lot of fun and then also i have look if if you know good folks like yourself keep talking about it and maybe people like it i can do a third one but i have this like rad chat trilogy idea and the third title ties into that as well so that was that was part of it as well oh yeah. interesting as far as long as shutter likes it and they're like that's a very dumb title you can't use this third title <laughs> yeah i mean look uh, you know we I, I can't imagine not making it without shutter yeah. but we own you know this care package franchise is like all ours paper street pictures my company so you know we can do whatever we want with it technically but they've been really great partners and we want to continue fostering that for sure yeah I uh, mentioned you know Joe Bob. So what was that moment like knowing you're going to be on Joe Bob? I still don't even understand it. I, I've gone back and rewatched the beginning of the last drive-in because it's just is so the feelings were just so overwhelming to me. Like my phone literally crashed because so many people were texting, calling, whatever, and it just crashed, just went blank <laughs> because so many things were coming in at once because I couldn't tell anybody that we were going to premiere, and I I, I just it was surreal because growing up, you know, he was truly my gateway to horror. You know, like I, I, I grew up in a Christian home. I wasn't allowed to watch a lot of this stuff. And Monster Vision was like it. And that came on cable, you know? So, but my, I remember this, I had this goal all the time of trying to find the unedited versions, you know, of his, the movies he would show. Cause I was like, oh, I wanna, oh, what do they cut away from? Cause he would talk about things and you couldn't see it all the time for the censors. And I was like, oh my God, I need to find those. So that was a big, a big thing for me. So, you know, in, in my first feature film, Camera Obscura, there's a picture of me on set and I'm wearing a hat that's a makeshift hat that I made myself, uh, a Joe Bob Briggs hat. And this is, you know, years before anything, any resurgence, any comeback. He just meant something to me. And we put him in the first scare package, not because he was on Shutter again, not because of that, because of my affinity for him and growing up and my true love. And, you know, I'm OG mutant family, you know, in every way. So to have all of that culminate in this movie, which is a really, this scare, we make a lot of movies, my company does, but the scare package movies are so special to me because it, it, it's, it's the movie that kind of got me to stay in the industry, honestly, you know, like I was pretty jaded with some stuff. I didn't know if I could do this. I was like, is this really right for me? And scare package like reinvigorated my love for filmmaking in every way. Cause we got to do it our way. There's no rules. No one telling us what to do. You know, it's like whatever silly idea I have, we got to, to run with and we did the same thing on the second one even shutter involved they're like aaron we trust you go do your thing you know and they gave notes but it was like if you want them you know that was it kind of thing it was really really wonderful so yeah so just to to do this and put your heart out there on that we put our own money in the movie everything and then to see it on the person that got me interested in horror from the first like it just felt like my life was coming full circle and it was like oh my god like you know, 12 year old me would be really proud of me right now. And that was a really cool thing. And it still is a cool thing. It's never going to yeah. not be cool. You know, I'm never, I don't ever want to get so cynical. I've made a lot of movies. I don't want to get so cynical to run past that. Like the love of filmmaking and being a cinephile through and through, I think has to stay in your DNA. And then once you've lost it, then I think you need to get out truly. 
So I don't know if it's something you want to talk about. You mentioned growing up in a Christian household, and so you didn't really see horror movie stuff. Uh, how about your family now? Do they watch your movies? Are they okay that you uh, decided to go and make these movies? I mean, my brother is. My brother loves the movies, but no, my mom has not seen any any of my movies. I mean, she she watched clips because they were on like you know a big out like USA Today or something of the Pale Door, and it had a church that was like upside down crosses and stuff, and she cried. Like she literally oh, wow. cried because she was like, what have I done? What happened to my son? You know? And I'm like, mom, I'm still here. You know, like, like filmmaking is the ultimate empathy machine, right? That that's a Roger Ebert quote. And I think that that completely it really comes into play when you're talking about horror filmmaking, because in order to do effective horror, you're throwing these horrible things at these individuals and you have to care about their plight. So in order to care about their plight, you have to have empathy for them and you have to understand what that is. And that's why, you know, if you meet horror people and you talk to enough of them, like you have on your show, most of them are the sweetest people oh, you're yeah. ever going to meet. And I think this it, just, it's a way of some, sometimes it's going to be cathartic. It's a way of working out stuff, but it's also the, you know, I think that's what's special about horror, but no, you know, my mom doesn't quite get it. Uh, she also doesn't fully understand that I am like have, have a career <laughs> as this. I was originally going to be a, you know, go to medical school and all that. So I think that kind of stays in the back of her mind, but, but she's, she's supportive in her own way. You know, like she, she loves that I'm pursuing my dreams and what's there. She just kind of wishes my dreams kind of, she's always pitching me these like weird Christian books. She's like, here's this Christian this book I read. Yeah. And make, it's make like, a movie of this. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's like some, it's like the same bullshit. It's like, you know, like little Timmy falls down a uh, ice in ice and then a dog rescues him. And, but God struck a tree and, you know, and then, and God brought him back to life or something. And I'm like, mom, this is just, not me, you know, yeah. like, 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 I'm sure that's great. And I'm glad that Tobey Maguire was in it. I like right, him, right. but like, it's not say scare package three is going to take a really uh, weird turn. It's gonna, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, oh, I mean, I look, I've thought about doing commentary on like televangelists and stuff like that. Cause I've gone like full circle. So like I'm full on atheist now, you know, and like Christopher Hitchens and like that stuff was like really important to me. So it's a very different world. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but you know, I love my mom, but it, it is what it is, right? Yeah, you can't, yeah. you can't control your family. Yeah. I'm a big Hitchens fan too. It's uh, sad he passed away and I miss, uh, I miss hearing him and, and what he would think of a lot of things today would be. Oh my God. Right. Here's some of his hitch slaps of the stuff that's going on in today. My girlfriend and I were just watching clips of him. I was introducing her to some of his stuff, his old YouTube clips and and he's yeah. the best, the best. Yeah. I still, uh, I still uh, watch old stuff because it still holds up. Yeah. It's, it's yeah completely. Yeah. So I was happy to see a lot of uh, people I've had on the show pop up and, you know, friends of mine, uh, Kelly Maroney and uh, mm -hmm. Mary Olson, who's, uh, who's always great and everything. Yeah. Oh, she's so good. I, I've always been a fan of hers. Like, I just think she's got what's, what's so interesting about, about, about Maria also is that she's got this kind of, she, she has a very, very unique features. You know, she has this look, she's always, she always gets cast to play the most, you know, creepy creatures, mm -hmm. but she's the sweetest person. Like just the juxtaposition of like her personality to the really scary shit that she plays yeah. is so fascinating to me. Bonnie Aaron's is the same way. Um, and they're just these people that kind of evoke that. And I first kind of got to know her through Starry Eyes, which I was uh, part of the producing team on. And she played a casting director on that and, and just killed That's it. a great movie and great role for her. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Her and Mark Center, um, you know, were the two cast people. They're so great in that. It's such a small part, but it's like so pivotal to that story. 
and yeah, I've always I've always loved Maria, and and so when we had this opportunity, and I wrote this kind of, you know, this funeral character that I really want, because again, it's horror tropes, right? So what are the stereotypes, and then how do we subvert them? So you take someone who's this like creepy, scary person, quote unquote, that works at the funeral parlor, and and look, it's it's an ensemble. You can't get everyone these like huge arcs, but then as you get to know her and you listen to everything she says in the movie, she's the kindest. She's this. She's kind of playing herself. You know, and and they're sitting there like Dwight's kind of making fun of her, you know, Graham Skipper's character. And then later he's like, oh, my God, I feel kind of bad. Like, you're actually this really, you know, lovable light in right, this. Right. And and uh, she gives this like really cheesy speech as her head's like, you know, exploding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that was just fun. But that's that's, you know, she brought that to life in the right way. Um, oh. And I, I love her for it. Yeah. Oh, when you keep talking about tropes, because I, I always think about this. Um because people always talk about when to make a movie for a broad audience. And uh, I I think it's that's not always the best thing because like uh, with the uh, so you first are festivals then with streaming, um, you're going to appeal to horror fans. So you're probably not going to maybe I'm wrong here, but you're probably not going to appeal to the to the to a giant uh, broad audience. So appeal to the to your audience, to the horror fans, and maybe not everyone will understand all all the the uh, you know the the rules the tropes and the horror films is that kind of your thought process when you're making it yeah i mean definitely and, and and that's an interesting question because this has been a very not like a hot topic but just something we've thought about a lot where you know this is definitely made by horror fans for horror fans which normally i roll my eyes when i see that because right. i'm like they're not really horror fans like but we really are you know yeah. i mean i have like it's all tattooed like it's in my dna like you know it, it's there and we because i wasn't allowed to watch them and when i did i cherished watching them they, they just became this forbidden fruit if you will that was just so appealing and still is you know i'm still kind of chasing the high from as a kid but so we definitely I, I the big thing for me was in scare packaging cameron burns who we wrote the, the these two films together the main core of the two films together and produced everything was to to focus on just what the hell makes us laugh like that's it like it was just i'm not gonna worry because my first feature you know we worked with a studio we actually worked with nbc universal and worked with the studio and all this stuff and there's great things that came of that but my cut was never released to the public you know, I never got to have the film that I wanted to make put out there. So here I was just like, you know what? I don't care. Like, we're just going to go all in. And if it makes me laugh, it's in there. And that's it. And then, and I'm like, well, that's that's an inside joke. But you know what? The person who gets that joke, it's going to be so funny to them, though. Mm -hmm. Like, it's really going to land. So that became a thing. But then I did notice after the first care package and, you know, late 2020, there was this um, there's this discourse kind of on Twitter and whatnot where some people would be like, oh, that's a reference to this. And they were kind of arguing about it. And then when someone didn't get a reference, they made fun of them for it. And there's deliberately a scene in Scare Package 2 about this. And I was like, whoa, 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 this is the wrong approach. Like, this is your opportunity to evangelize, right? Bring it back yeah. to my Christian upbringing, to evangelize the horror in it. Because I, I grew up shockingly to none uh in a video store i worked at a video store i did the horror stuff i had my horror shelf when people came in to rent movies and they were like they well, I want something kind of scary they were like go talk to aaron there's 16 year old me telling a family like watch her rent for the night you know and whatever and i'm recommending dream warriors mm -hmm. you know or whatever right and getting them to do this stuff and I took a lot of pride in that when they would come back and like, oh my God, that one was so good. And I'm like, ooh, well, now that I know you like that one, I have all these other ones that I'm going to recommend for you to do. And 
that just was so much fun to me and something that I really miss. So, and I have a point to this, what I think that we're trying to do now, and hopefully, yes, it's it's definitely made for horror fans still, and it's even more so kind of uh, Ryan Turmick of uh, Blumhouse called it like inside baseball for, for horror fans. But it's, my hope is, you know, someone like yourself could be sitting with your friend, partner, whomever, you're the diehard horror fan, they're like the casual horror fan, and you're watching this, and they see you're laughing, they're laughing, and they're kind of chuckling, like, what's so funny about that scene? And you're like, no, 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 no. that's a reference to Hellbound. Right. And then and then they're like, what's Hellbound? Well, now, when Scare Package 2 is over, or sometime in the future, you guys are going to wa- hopefully watch Hellbound. Mm-hmm. And I have just recreated, you know, 16, 17-year-old me walking around with the tape saying, this is what you need to rent. And Scare Package 2 becomes a vehicle for that. So it's it's this i'm hoping it could be this weird thing where it's like for the diehard horror fans but then at the same time can be gateway horror and sure. like introduce yeah. you to horror yeah and what's going on we're working on a thing right now um that'll be on the blu-ray that is going to be if you remember vh1's like pop-up video that would yeah. like do we're going to do a version of the movie like that and every time there's a horror reference it like pops up uh, and I, i'm all you, aboard on this yeah yeah it tells you what it is and i think that'll be a fun one to watch with people who are like learning and like like oh now i get what this movie's really about you know yeah. what they're trying to do yeah i mean uh to go on to like the physical uh media part uh for me that's um a, that's what really what sells to me to buy a physical copy is if there's commentary tracks or something fun like that yeah yeah and yeah we have yeah and we have i did a commentary track um we have bloopers we'll have you know a couple extra behind the scenes things that are not announced yet so yeah no it's we take we take pride in doing because it it's fun i mean you know i don't know yeah. how long we're gonna get to make physical media out of this stuff like it people keep talking about it going away i mean there was even talk about us not having a blu-ray this time you know and i was like whoa, whoa, whoa no this has to happen you know and thankfully we are but uh yeah you know so we, we try to pack it and make it make it worth everyone's while and and get something else out of the experience you know yeah because I'm guilty myself. I, you know, I tell people get physical media, but I'm guilty myself. A lot of times I'll be like, oh, I know I have this movie, but it's actually even easier if, I, if it's streaming just to go watch sure. it than, than put it in the Blu-ray. But um, if there's cool stuff on there, then, you know, it gives you a reason. Oh, I think I'll buy this because I, I can't listen to the commentary track off a off website. Well, and also with like what's happening right now with like HBO, right? Could just go away. Right. This shit could just go away. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you get to have your version of it that's pristine, you know, that's at minimum a Blu-ray 1080 version, you know, possibly 4K. I mean, that's that's special, you know, and and then you're getting it the way it was intended. Cause even on Shutter, you know, that's not we even have to like tweak some of our specs to make it play a little better on shutter because the compression's so heavy on the site like it doesn't have netflix money to to have like four 4k you know and what's there so we gotta you know we have to think about that as filmmakers and how you're doing that but the blu-ray becomes like a much better version to watch right for sure and not everything on shutter is there forever either you know they have to cycle yeah. out movies and stuff so. yeah we will though because we're in a we're a shutter original a, right. so we're like the originals and the exclusives like they stay there but everything else is is uh yeah fair game yeah how does actual the actual making of the movie come about and i mean that so you have like multiple directors and writers so um do you all get together so so like there is a cohesive story that you know the stories you know uh like they're in the same universe and no one's like writing something that's too similar to someone else's 
Yeah, I mean, so Cameron and I kind of liken this to being showrunners. So it's like, imagine a showrunner with a TV show, and then you have, you know, segment directors that kind of come in, episode directors, right, that come in. It's the same kind of thing, you know? So we're we're kind of shepherding this overall vision, uh, tone, style, what we're looking for, the tropes to subvert. And then we, I'm going out, and I in particular, I'm really trying to find the right filmmakers and come up with like the main, the, the main concepts. You know, it's like, okay, I want Alex Barreto, you know, she was, who did Welcome to the 90s, the first segment. She was a good friend of uh, Ashley Sneed, my, my line producer and producing partner. And, you know, I, I saw a short that I love that she had done called Lady Hater, played at Tribeca. And then, you know, she's also, she's an actress. She just kind of had like an interesting perspective and, how they, and, and a huge horror fan. And I was like, oh, okay, this could be fun. Like, why don't you do some like fun feminist riff on like how, you know, final girls are changing, you know, and all this. And I talked a little bit about final girls, but she kind of took it from there and, and, and hers was pretty, pretty easy. Like her first draft, I want to say of welcome to the nineties, Cameron and I had like just a handful of notes, like barely anything. And we're like, this is good, you know? And then we've had others, we had other directors um, that are main nameless that pitch stuff and we tried to develop and it just didn't work. And we're like, sorry, we kind of need to move on you know, um, and, you know, a few, a few different things that kind of like come and go. And then, but yeah, everyone was handpicked and everyone was given parameters to kind of stay in. And then they kind of, they're creating, and then we're also producing those segments. So we're kind of, now some, we had one Jed Shepherds, who was the guy who wrote and produced host, uh, and, and also the same on Dashcam. He was UK based. So we couldn't go out there to do that, but we did facilitate like, okay, Let's look at your shot list. Let's look at everything, how you're scheduling your budget. Like, you know, as much as we could remotely, because uh, COVID travel became tricky again during this. And then the same thing happened with Rachel Wiggins, who she directed We're So Dead, which is the last segment. And that one, actually, I wrote with Cameron. And so that was, you know, we knew exactly. And that's why that one kind of even more perfectly fits into the bigger narrative. Um, but, but yeah, you know, we're, we're kind of fostering these as they come along and working with people that, uh, you know, we know and that we're already friends with and, you know, or, or, or admire their work and are like looking for reasons to work with them. So that's kind of the goal. And, and, and then, it, you know, see, and then I'm adjusting based on what I'm seeing them doing in the main story. So the main film then gets tweaked because I'm like, Ooh, that's really cool what they did. Let's play off that in another way and that allows it to kind of come together more organically so we're not shooting them all at the same time we'll do like a segment stop evaluate get a little bit of a cut going and then move on to another segment to another segment and then see how we need to tweak each it makes it take much longer but the end result i feel like is more cohesive for an anthology which is really hard to do yeah because uh you know, over the last 10 years or so, it's definitely rise in the anthologies. And a lot of them, and I'm not going to say they're good or bad to do this way, but a lot of them are collections of like short films that yeah. other people made. They're not really connected at all. They're just mm -hmm. people made, might even maybe didn't even make them for a, an anthology. It's like a home for the, for these shorts. Oh, and that happens and all the time. Maybe they yeah. throw in like a, a, you know, a bookend to them. But I, yeah. I personally prefer ones. Uh, I mean, I have creep show up here. It's my, the first yeah. VHS tape yeah. my mom bought me, uh, Classic. you know, and, yeah. you know and, and they all, they're not connected, but they all feel like the same universe. Oh, no, definitely. I mean, yeah, that, that had curation that had real curation. I think that's really important. And look, uh, you know, there are, are many amazing shorts that exist on some of those yeah. anthologies 
but I think they're just better as shorts. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we had, you know, we had stuff that was, we thought were really, really great shorts. And they're like, look, we want to put it on Scare Package Studios. Like, no, like we just, regardless, I refuse to do it. Like, I want this to be built from the ground up. And it so it really feels, and, and we have the same colorist, we have the same sound designer, we have the same composer, you know, um, the main DP is advising the other DPs on look and feel, you know, so we make sure it's like the same aspect ratio, like all these little things and how it comes together. Um, so those elements help kind of keep some cohesion, which I think is really important because I I didn't want to make an anthology when we first started. We can't, Cameron, to his credit, is who kept pitching it to me. And I was just like, no, there's like, again, Creepshow was coming back. You know, Southbound, I thought was really great. VHS, VHS2, VHS2, I think is fantastic. And like, you know, these there were some really good ones coming out. And I was like, I, we can't compete with that. I don't want to compete with that. You know, let them do their thing. But we knew so many filmmakers that we wanted to work with and we admired and, and also kind of played in some interesting sandboxes that we were like, man, th there's an opportunity here. So one weekend I watched every anthology I could possibly think of. I mean, like literally everyone. I created a spreadsheet, pluses and minuses and like what worked and what segments I liked and every little thing. And I came, there's a few takeaways that I had. One, I loved the comedies. And, but I also felt they were weird when a comedy was, was next to like a super serious thing and it became right. kind of tonally difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, again, the cohesion, which we talked about, I, I, that was something that was important. And then I really wanted the wraparound story to be the driver rather than the passenger. Because I think a lot of times you're, you're watching these segments and you're just like, okay, okay, you know, like they, when you get, or sorry, when you get back to the wraparound, you're like, yeah, just give me back to the segment. And then you don't care. And it just becomes this complete afterthought. And I wanted to completely invert that. So that way, hopefully you have a core story that you're you're interested in the whole time. And regardless of what you're feeling about the segments, you have something that you're coming back to that you're enjoying. Or if you're not enjoying that, you still can go with all the segments, you know, and vice versa. But it gave something that and it was important to me that if you removed all the segments, you still had one story. And that was something I just hadn't seen a lot. I'd seen people dabble in it a little here and there, but but this became a hook. And then when I said every segment was a different set of horror tropes that we were subverting, that really that really became a fun hook. And I was like, this is different. I haven't seen it before. And that's th that's when things excite me is when yeah. I'm not they're not out there already. Yeah, because uh, I the, usually in, in the anthologies the bookends are much shorter even if they go back to them a little bit but uh this is in scare package too it definitely is an ongoing story throughout the uh, yeah. the whole movie yeah, it's a movie in fact we didn't even call it a segment right like my stuff is just called scare package two yeah. <laughs> you know and then there's segments within yeah. that yeah so we uh, over the last 10 years or so has been so much 80s nostalgia and now there's starting to be some 90s nostalgia and i think i think everyone can kind of get like what 80s like vibe is how, how do you capture the the feel of the 90s well i think what was happening in horror was really kind of interesting because you know the 80s was very derivative and i don't mean that to be negative but there is a reality here that there were a lot of movies that became huge hits were financially viable and the direct-to-video model was so profitable in horror especially in the 80s mm -hmm. And then that started to kind of evolve a little bit going to the 90s. There was still a good, you know, tape market, but getting into DVDs and all that, it started to change. 
Um, and, and so as that happened, all these sequels sort of kind of died down and it was like, okay, now it's reboots. And it was like, okay, can, where can we get horror? And it was like J horror, you know, and, and the torture porn era. So they were trying to, and I, I do think they learned a lot from, you get into some of the French horror that was happening and what was there too. Um, you know, and that some of that's still a little later 2000s, but there's still some stuff that kind of was, was going in and that they were kind of, that was experimental that, you know, especially in North America, we were learning a lot about how this, how this all evolved. So when it gets into nineties horror, you know, I, I, there's a lot of stuff that I have a lot of fun with. There's like shoddy CGI mixed with <laughs> like good. super, super amazing practical effects. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, what is happening? Like Ghost Ship is a great example of this, where like there'll be the coolest moment. And then there's just like this weirdest CGI thing. And, and that was fun. So we deliberately actually did that in a couple spots. We had like a couple like really cringy kind of CGI moments yeah, within yeah. a practical effect. I don't know if that was a wise decision because I don't think everybody's getting it. Right. But but that's that's part of what you're trying to do and lean into. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, so it was like kind of finding that aesthetic and then also understanding that some of those tropes were changing, right? So the final girl trope definitely started to change, you know, about, you know, if you have sex, you die, you know, that kind of thing. That, even I think that's when the term really came about because before that would be like scream queen. Yeah, completely, completely. And, and scream, you know, really kind of helped shepherd in a new version of that. And that's, that's, you know, again, credit to Ox Bretta who did welcome the nineties. That's what it's about. It's like, look, welcome to the nineties. Like, this is a different thing. It's a different era. And this idea that because you know there were a lot of men i'm not gonna get into like feminism here or whatever but there was a lot of men talking about like oh yeah these are feminist movies because there's a final girl that's sitting there in his last and it's like well let's be a little careful here that's not exactly what's happening um you know and and thankfully you know deborah hill had a really big influence on what laurie laurie strode became you know with carpenter's halloween and if you really start to kind of like study the the ethos of this and like understand like where the final girl tropes came from uh, it, it was a little more problematic than I think people were willing to kind of admit. And then, so, so how do you, but again, it's not, it still worked, but, but it's not, we weren't as progressive as everybody right, thought, right. thought they were at that time. So you see how that starts to evolve. And I think there's really fun things to kind of play with and look, so to get to take something that is a topic that I think is important and then have this super, super silly, stupid way of doing it. That's fun for me. You know, I mean, we talk about that. We talk about you know, a toxic fandom, you know, uh, horror gatekeeping, all of these things that are like topics that I think, you know, the horror community needs to address. We need to be better about, and I get to do it in the dumbest ways possible. And that makes <laughs> right. it, that makes me really happy. Yeah. Well, I, when you do something like that, um, so is in your mind, we got to keep it balanced so people can just enjoy it as, as a silly fun mm -hmm. movie. And, you know, we're also saying something, but it, if you go one too much one way, maybe you're preaching to people. So it's like yeah. that in your mind when you're making the movie. We, you know, oh, we're still making a movie. A hundred percent. No, the movie it's it's story, structure, gags, the jokes, the fun first, right? right? And it's like okay, and then you massage it to make sure that it it plays well in what you're trying to say. You know, you you can't you can't force things in there. Mm -hmm. You know, as far as as far as what's happening, that's more effective too because you know. Uh, Otherwise, you'd just be talking to people who already think that anyway, and you're not going to change your yeah. mind. But if they're watching and having fun, maybe it makes them think about something different. 
Yeah, and you also can watch it and not think about it at all. Right, just be right. like, this is really funny, and that's great too. Yeah. Like it's not meant to alienate anyone in that way. Mm-hmm. I think, but it's but if you know, as as directors and, and filmmakers, I think you have to think about what it is you're trying to say and like have kind of like a pathos to this, if you will. And then from there, like the audience gets to interpret it and run with it and take it where they will. You know, I mean, I read uh, one review today or yesterday that was like, this really seems like I'm saying you need to be in the horror cool club or get the hell out. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, Cause I can see how they interpreted it that way, but that's not the goal at all. It's actually the opposite, but, but I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's our interpretation. You know, that's, that's totally fine. And, and cause they, they watched it, took it in and, and, and it gets, cause once, you know, you make the movie and you put it out there, like this movie is now yours, you know, it's no longer my movie, it's your movie. And, and, and so you guys get to get to take that in and, and it gets become something hopefully special. Hopefully it can be a reprieve when things are down. I was just talking to someone that's, um, you know, the holidays are really, really tough for them and their mother's like super sick and they're just like super depressed. And they're like, I'm just watching Scare Package and Scare Package 2 on repeat, you know, and like, thank you. And it just, I'm like, holy shit, like, like that just means so much, you know, that like this can be that reprieve for them. And I'm like, this is yours. That's yours. You know, it gets to be that for you, you know, and, and that's really, really special because I mean, as a kid, you know, I had some family drama growing up and uh and that still do because everybody does um but uh i mean the way i escaped was watching you know these movies you know and and if i didn't want to hear my parents fighting i didn't want to hear things that were going on or deal with some of the shit that was going on in my life i could pop in you know anything you know and and, and halloween four you know and just like have fun and and and, and just get away from this shit you know and i think it worked well for us too because we released this in 2020 in like peak pandemic the first one and people were stuck in their homes not knowing what to do and it's just like and there was you know like can i just like laugh at something you know so this i think this helped there too hopefully hopefully it did Yeah. yeah um so when scare package the first one came out um the festival scene would have been different then because I assume a lot of a lot of them were virtual. So did yeah. you get to see it with too many audiences at that time? So we were still we had a 2019 All right. so festival right premiere. Yeah. So we had a few. No, but we we had a ton of festivals canceled though. Mm-hmm. So you know, and, and then my movie, The Pale Door. Never, I never got. To, I've still never seen that in a theater with a oh, crowd yeah. ever. Yeah. So um, you know, so that was that was tricky. But yeah, we we premiered at Citrus in Spain. Um, in 2019, October 2019, and it was wonderful. It was actually where I met Rachel Wiggins, who directed We're oh, So wow. Dead. She had a project that she had produced that was there, and it played right before Scare Package. And you know, we're all us from we all know each other. It's a very very small community, and you know, so I was like, oh shit, what are you doing? And we we hung out, and her she was with our group, and then that night we were driving her back to her hotel, and Jeremy King, Rad Chad, was driving, and left his international license back like where we oh, were uh, yeah. and then drove on a one-way street the wrong way by accident <laughs> uh-huh. and he was sober and then they right. pulled us over and they're making us take breathalyzers yeah. and there's like there's like five cop cars around us they're putting flashlights in there i'm like oh my god i'm like i'm really sorry rachel i didn't mean to get you arrested <laughs> you know um but we did we were okay obviously and uh but that was like a fun story and you know kind of bonded over that and then she was she's doing the new wolf creek movie the wolf creek sequel oh, i didn't know that that's cool 
yeah, really, really cool. And I was like, shit, like, that's really great. And we were just chatting. And then she's like, she's like, yeah, but it got pushed. Um, I don't know. It's going to take a while. So it's not going to happen, you know, for, for a bit. And uh, so, and I think it still hasn't happened. Unfortunately, uh, it's just how these movies go sometimes, but I was like, Oh wait, you have an opening. And then I had lost another director that was directing. We're so dead. And so it worked out perfectly. And we were able to bring her in. She got to do like an Aussie spin on it, which was, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. So uh, how about for care package to the festival scene? Was that, was that much different? Yeah, no, this was, this was good. Um, in fact, a number of the festivals that I wanted to play scare package one and, and they were canceled. I was able to kind of be there in person for these. So we world premiered at London at Fright Fest, which was just epic. I mean, that's on a, this IMAX screen. It's the largest screen in the UK, um, which is really, really cool. And like Neil Marshall's there and like, you know, all this, this just a lot of fun stuff's going on. So that was really great. And then after that, uh, Brussels International, BIF, which is one of the oldest international film festivals in Belgium, they actually launched uh, Guillermo del Toro's career, like his first couple movies that played there. And there's like pictures of him with awards and stuff there and everything, which is really cool. And, uh, you know, so 40 plus years and then they were that they've been around and then they were supposed to play the first scare package, but that was canceled because of the pandemic. So they're like, hey, we never got to play with the crowd. Why don't we open the festival with scare package one? And then why don't we close the festival with scare package two? And I was like, oh, my God, what an honor. So uh, my girlfriend and I, it was our one year anniversary. And it's like, let's just like hang out in Belgium for yeah, a week, yeah. you know, which was amazing, you know? So we were already in London. So we took the train to, to Belgium and to that. That was so cool to see in front of their, their crowd. And then, God, yeah, I played in, you know, in Canada. We played in Helsinki, uh, you know, played at Popcorn Frights in Miami, uh, Nightmares Fest in Ohio, all over, you know, and, and so uh, Telluride Horror was a really, really fun one. So it's been, yeah, you know, we've probably had a dozen or so pretty good festivals um, leading up to this. And honestly, there was part of me that kind of wanted the movie to to wait even longer to keep playing festivals because yeah, yeah, I love yeah. it. Yeah. But, but we had, you know, we had already kind of, you know, the movie needed to come out. Yeah. So yeah. It was time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to uh talk about myself, but I was at uh Freight uh Freight Mayor in uh in London this year. Oh, you were? Did you see yeah. Scareback Shoe there? I came in after it showed because uh my, my first feature premiered at, at Freight uh at Freight Fest, which oh, I was, oh my I was God. very excited about. Amazing. Well, which was your feature? Uh the once in future smash and end zone two, they played together. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Epstein and the like right. yeah. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Stuff, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. They were, yeah. they were, they came in before I did, but, uh, yeah. Like it, the him and, uh, and, and Sophia, Sophia. Sophia. Like a, yeah. Sophia they're, they're so sweet. That's mm -hmm. so great. Oh, small. World. Again, look, perfect example. Right. The horror right. community is a small world. Like we all know each other. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. I stayed out uh, with them when, when we made the movie in, in LA. Oh, fun. Yeah. yeah. That's fun. Yeah. That movie's a lot of fun. Well, the two movies are a lot of fun. Yeah, very, very cool. Yeah, we played a few festivals together, Nightmares and, and yeah. Fest and stuff. So. Yeah, yeah, I was able to get it from Jason. That's how I was able to see it. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, that, yeah. I was at uh, I was at uh, in Ohio. Uh, that was a, that was a really cool festival. Well, what are the benefits, in your opinion, of, of festivals? I mean, it, it depends on the festival. I mean, I think number one, you know, I think it's a wonderful opportunity for filmmakers to meet other filmmakers, and I'm a big believer in kind of networking laterally, you know, and just like your, your counterparts, I think everybody gets so caught up in like, I got to meet this person and do this thing. And I think sometimes 
the best partners you're going to have are the ones that are playing festivals with you right now, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and, and so, you know, the people that I went to film school with are like Adam Wingard, you know, you know, Godzilla versus Kong and Evan Katz and, you know, Travis Stevens, like Evan was, or Travis was sleeping on Evan's couch and, <laughs> you know, this and, kind of stuff. And, and his movie played there too, a uh, wounded fawn. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. And, and like, and Travis is, you know, we, that's where we, that's where we met. We started working together um, through starry eyes and, you know, and all these, I mean, you know, I met Ty West through Adam and like all these people and they, and, and so, and no one was like blowing up at that time. No one was doing anything, you know, but we were all kind of in this together, you know, and what was going on. And then I actually left the industry for a while and then kind of came back in when I saw what my friends were doing. And it was like so inspiring to kind of see that. But I think going to festivals allows you to kind of meet so many people you would never meet and, and, and also know that you're not alone like especially as a writer director it can be very very isolating and so to to have that and and cuz most of the time especially in the way films are distributed now you're not going to see your movie on a big screen it's just not going to happen unless you like full wallet rent a rent a theater yourself right. um so to have that experience i think is so valuable but i will say i think the days of like i'm going to go to a festival i'm going to win a prize i'm going to be discovered aren't really there anymore right. uh, I mean, the movies like that you're are gonna at, make the next clerks or something right yeah like so the next clerks is already going to be financed by somebody probably you know i mean look there are but I, i've been waiting for like the next puppy chair and these types of things there's not a ton of examples of those anymore um so you know but it, but i'm not saying that it can't happen it, it definitely can mm -hmm. and there's wonderful filmmakers that have been discovered through this and, and what can kind of happen there but um there's just a much I think the industry is much more acutely aware of who's kind of doing what, even like making short films and stuff, you know? I mean, Parker Finn makes Smile, and that was all because of a short film that played at South by Southwest, mm -hmm. you know, and what was there, you know, and and and, and that was never supposed to be the movie it was, right? You know, yeah. that was, that was I, a smaller release. I, and every when I see people saying there's no good horror movies, I'm like, there's great movies this year, uh, independent ones and a lot of theatrical release movies were great, like Smile. I mean, I don't know. People, if you, if you know people that are saying they're not great horror movies, to me, they're not watching enough horror movies because <laughs> right. this year in particular yeah. is fantastic. This is the best year in horror in recent memory. Like, uh, truly, truly. Like, I mean, I it is top to bottom. You know, I don't know that there's like the one horror film that, like, you know, seals it for this mm -hmm. year, but the top 10 horror films of the year, and I'm not here to make lists or whatever, but like, that I think are just like, oh my God, there's just so many phenomenal horror films, whether it's studio, whether it's things like a wounded fawn that you mentioned, yeah, you know, smile, movie. nope, you know, like these movies that are, they're everywhere, you know, and, and, and this year has been just, I mean, we, we made, you know, our movie came out today and I've had a couple of people say like, oh, like you're going to make our list. And I'm like, how? <laughs> like, are you sure? Did you watch all the movies and then watch our movie? Because like this, this year's too good. <laughs> you know, this year's I, too good. I keep a, just so I can remember at the end of the year, what I've seen. And I always keep a list of stuff I really like. And I'm having a hard time there. I do. We do the top 13 at the end of the year. And I'm like, this is a hard year to narrow it down to 13 because there's like yeah. so many. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So no, I think, um, look, I think sometimes people, they, they do the same thing in like music, you know, I think there's this idea that you're like nostalgic for a thing that you had, but right now I think there is, there is, you know, look, TV, 
music and movies, there are so many other versions of it that there is more crap out there. So like, let's just be oh, honest. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Right. Just the sheer numbers because right. more people have access to these All the streaming sites, they need content. So there's yeah, yeah. So, so that's there. But that also means that there's more opportunities. There's more, there's more sandboxes to play in unique ways and do different stuff. I mean, everything everywhere all at once is my favorite, favorite films oh, of the yeah, year. Awesome. And I consider it a genre film through and through. And like, that movie never would have been greenlit by a studio right. previously. And people talk about like, oh, studios don't do what they used to do. I mean, it's true. They do want derivative stuff. Yeah. That is true. They do want IP and there's huge problems there. But let's celebrate when shit like this happens because that's Definitely, completely yeah. original. I think you know, a lot of TV is. is the same. Even like big, like Breaking Bad, like when, like when I was a kid, but they made a movie, I mean, a TV show about like a, uh, a teacher who starts selling you know drugs like no yeah, that yeah, would yeah. never be a thing you know uh yeah there's uh, because of the content so much uh they need the content they i think they give uh the okay to a lot of things that like you said would would not be made you know previously oh we're in the glory days of tv like yeah, flat yeah, out i mean but also we are there's the worst tv ever made sure, sure yeah. going on right now right yeah. you know there's a new kardashian whatever like there's yeah. just there's a, there's there's some things that are unfortunate within that but you know i think it really kind of came out of sopranos and the wire i yeah I, I mentioned this all the time but yeah the limited series kind of you yeah. know style of things and you know right now i mean it is you know like i can't like the last of us i'm, I'm so excited for i think craig mason is one of the most talented writers and he talks about this like he never wanted to work in in tv it was like no it's movies 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 and then now he's like i'll never work in movies again you yeah, know. it used to be like you would never see like a big star, uh, A-list movie star, or even a movie star, like in a TV show, because it would be like, oh, what's well, man, he must be falling on bad times. But now, yeah. like you know, you see big people because they get better scripts. Uh, you know, for a lot of TV shows, it's better content. It's better. I mean, the only thing that still hinders the big stars doing TV right now is the time commitment. Right, like that's right. it. So, like, if the show is not that, you know, it's not going to be killer. Right. And, you know, then then they don't want to risk like, well, now I have like, oh, they're going to do three seasons and I'm stuck for four years. Yes. You know, so that and I say that because like we we have a show, a TV series that we're trying to get off the ground and looks actually without, you know, announcing anything. It looks very promising right now. And um, it's a horror, a horror series that I would be show running with another good pal of mine. And. But with that, you know, it's fun because we're building worlds. Like I'm so used to in movies, like the propulsiveness of it. And it's like, you got to cut this scene and cut this scene to kind of get you there. Whereas in TV, it's like, you need to add that scene in. And that's, you You need to, you need to, this is all character, you know? Um, and another friend of mine recently just said, um, we were talking about White Lotus 2 and everything about the second season, White Lotus 2, the second season of White Lotus, it's all character driven you know, action, like the, there, there's no plot driving it. It's character driving it. And that moves your plot forward. And that's, that's really, you know, really special until like the very end, um, the last, the last episode. So I think it's just a, it's just a totally different medium now. And, and I think we're in, living in a really, really special time when I, it comes to yeah. that. You just have to kind of, you know, get away right, the right. other yeah. shit that's yeah. there. Like the, um, the first season of True Detective, I think, is one of the best seasons of any show ever made. But like you were saying, like that, if if that would have been every season, the same characters, like they probably couldn't have got, you know, the cast that yes. they got for the first season. Limited series helps. Yeah, limited series helps a lot. And yes, I think True Detective season one is one of my favorite seasons of television yeah. ever. 
ever. You know, I mean, I almost got uh, not Penny's boat tattooed on my hand. I love Lost that much too. You know, so it's definitely a medium that I'm I'm excited about. You know, and that's why again, so many filmmakers are, especially feature filmmakers, are trying to get into TV right now. So yeah, I know we, Quentin um, Tarantino said recently that he was yep. making a, a limited series, like limited series. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Because again, there's more freedom, more time, and we love to play with character. You just it's hard when you you have. You know, like, I mean, well, Scare Package 2 is a different example because it's just so balls to the wall, <laughs> like, all the time. Yeah. So you can't, you have, like, little glimpses of moments and what's there. Um, but, like, other features, like, you know, like the Pale Door and other stuff that we're doing, you know, you really try to, you try to, to massage it in there the best you can, but you're like, you got to get out of this thing in 90 minutes, you know? And here you can have 10 hours. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, oh my God, you know, it's just an entirely different thing, but it's great. It's it's just, just a wonderful place to be. Yeah. I do want to mention uh, about uh, Scare Package 2. I like that it is very fun. What I like about horror is in general is there's all, there's so many different kinds because sometimes I like to watch something really dark and, or something completely bloody, or maybe something that may even make me feel bad, but sometimes you just want to mm-hmm. watch something fun, depending on what mood you're in. And this is just a fun movie. You know, you're not going to yeah. feel bad watching it. It's it's just a good time. I mean, our first feature, Camera Obscura, is that feel bad movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, so we needed and we saw it a lot with a lot of people that played festivals. And I was like, I need a palate cleanser from this because it's so depressing. Mm-hmm. And it ends in a very, very depressing way. So, you know, but that's I, I like those movies, too. You know, but I will say there's kind of. You know, there's been this again. Talk about the derivative of nature sometimes that happens, and this isn't necessarily horror. This is just if something's successful in Hollywood, they want to recreate it, you know, and, and do this, and that just becomes this like failed paradigm. But there is a, I think, with what A24 had done, there's a lot of people trying to make like A24 style horror, right. and it gets a little self-serving. I think it can get a little too serious, and we're and very long. Yeah, yeah, we're we're just, and we have a couple movies that are in that A24 space that I would love to work with them on. But as a whole, I think one of the mottos that we have as a company, and I wrote actually a thing on Letterboxd about it as like a guest person on there, um, which is horror with heart. And I think that's just something that we're trying to find. It doesn't have to be comedy or whatever. It, it, it just, it needs to have something that makes you feel something, you know? And I think, um, it, it, and, and that's just important to me to kind of find that through line and to have something that, you know, maybe you don't necessarily want to throw up, you know, when you're done. Um, unless you're watching Scare Package 2 and seeing people throw up makes you throw up, then you're definitely going to throw <laughs> right, up because right. surprise. There's it's it's like, very fun to acid puke though. Yeah, I think it's I think it's highbrow acid puke in every way, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Did you do research to see uh, what the effects are? Uh, someone who is allergic to bee stings if they get stung by bees, is this uh, accurate? N- so no, you know what it, you know what it really was from uh-huh. was uh, I remember the movie back in the day with Danny Glover and Martin Short called Pure Luck. <laughs> I, yeah, I should know the movie. Yeah. And he gets stung by he's allergic to bees and uh-huh. he's on a plane and he gets stung by bees and he balloons up. Mm-hmm. And it made me laugh so hard. It was like the funniest scene for me as a kid. And I, that's originally, I wanted her to become this like massive <laughs> version um, or like big trouble, little China, the guy who's like, face. <laughs> right. That's what we were gonna try. Yeah. 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 That was the original comp. That's what we were trying. But as, as the scare package franchise goes, like I can only, I have these like huge ideas. I'm like, Oh, never mind. We can't really afford <laughs> 
and the time or whatever to, to kind of do that. There's certain gags that I'm like, we're going to make sure like the, the dream warriors TV thing. I was like, we're going to yeah. make sure we do that. Very well done. Uh, yeah. Which was really hard to do, but yeah, no. So I, I just kind of was like, this is fun to me and what's there. Now we did research because the whole B section of this, if you will, completely came from just one line for me. And it was a day when I was writing like jigsaw, like funny jigsaw type dialogue, which was just fun. And I was just like going through, I was like watching the movies and like just kind of parodying stuff and come up with fun things. And then the one that kind of came to me, because again, I get frustrated when people were like, oh, it's just a B movie or elevated horror or whatever that kind of stuff. And I was playing with those ideas. And then all of a sudden this line was, you called you called horror a B movie. Well, the real horror is the 10,000 Bs I just put inside of you. And I'm like, it was this super stupid, silly <laughs> jigsaw-esque version of this. And then I texted it to the gang and I'm like, okay, this is what I want to do. And they're like, how are we going to put bees inside of it? I'm like, I don't know, but this makes me laugh and I don't know how to do it. And that kind of means you probably have to do it then, you know? So, so then once we kind of realized, okay, we can do wicker man thing. We originally had a big candy man thing. Uh-huh. And what we're going to do and stuff too. Cause you know, thinking about bees and horror right. and like, what do you, that, how do you incorporate? That's nineties well, movie too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and there's a little bit of, there's a, there's a minor homage to that. And, but, uh, but within that, it was like, okay, now how do you get, how do they survive this trap? You know? And we're like, what are we going to do? Like, you know, and we're just researching all these different things. And then all of a sudden I read a line that was cinnamon, you know, you can use cinnamon to kill bees. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. And I remember working in the corporate world and I did, you know, and corporate, I hate, I, I hated it so much. And I feel bad for everybody that has to still be stuck in that. And, and, I remember there was like some, you know, uh, corporate event or something. And they were like, if you, if you can, you know, do the cinnamon challenge and you'd get like some (laughs) perk or something. And it's probably a perk that they should have given you anyway, but you know, they're just greedy, you know, people. And, and so I remember doing the cinnamon challenge and it was just like horrible, like just horrible. And I was like, this is awful. Like, what is up with this? And then, so I knew very acutely what it actually felt like. And it truly felt like I was, I was dying. Like it was horrible. Yeah. And, and I was like, this is the dumbest saw trap ever. The cinnamon challenge <laughs> is the way to get out of it. And credit to Graham. Um, actually, I see, I see a text from Graham right now as I'm saying that. Credit to Graham Skipper, who plays Dwight, because he was the one who was going to be, when I, I did the, the, the framing, I was like, look, I need you at the front of the frame. And you're going to be the like big cloud of this. And none of them actually did cinnamon, but he, they were doing cocoa powder, which still kind of the texture still gets yeah, yeah. mess you up a little bit. If you watch, you can see Kelly Maroney. She like can't do it. And she turns and <laughs> uh-huh. just dumps, like it does nothing. Um, so if anybody notices, you can see I'm like, yeah, it's fine. Um, but Graham has to do the whole thing. And then he kind of improv, he improvised that line of like, we made a huge mistake. I-, I think we- I said the line is like, we made a huge mistake. I, that was there, but he's like, we should have chosen the bees. And he's like, ah, oh, as he's screaming. <laughs> one of my favorite lines of the movie, one of my favorite deliveries of the movie. And that's just Graham Skipper being Graham Skipper is just like <laughs> so funny and so jovial. But yeah, I mean, yeah, just stupid. You know, you, you have an idea. It's ridiculous. You don't know how you're going to do it. And that's what excites me. So like, okay, now let's do it. <laughs> let's yeah, figure yeah. that shit out. Yeah. Uh, I gotta ask about the puppet because I'm a big fan of the puppet in the movie, and I'm and I'm happy that you have it and it's there behind I do. you. Yeah, so I who that created was, the puppet. So it was Tate Steinsek who created it. Uh, Tate, some people would know hmm. from um, 
Oh goodness, what is that From show? Third, well, didn't he do? Uh, he did uh, one of the Puppet Master movies, didn't he? He did. Well, that's why I had him create this because okay. yeah, he did. Yeah. He did the yeah, little strike show for for that. Yeah, but yeah. he was also he was on that um uh the the makeup show the reality oh, makeup face show. off. Face off, yeah, yeah. So I think he like won face off or was a finals face off or something. And actually, so were David Greathouse, uh, Becky Ingram, other people that I work with. They're also face and Eric Zapata. So a lot of I work with a lot of people who are on that show. But yeah, Tate, uh, the timing didn't work for him to do some more stuff with this, but I needed to get this done early because it was going to take a while. And again, you know, he had created the puppets from Little Strike. And I was like, well, then there's, you know, we are, he's already a pal. And uh, yeah, it, it was amazing, you know, and he had the little clothes made and all this. It's fully animatronic. And I wanted, um, I mean, it's got repeat actions that it does, but I also wanted the tricycle that was with it because I wanted to do, you know, it's, it's, that's meant to be kind of a little bit of a twofer. Like it, there's that wonderful scene again in Dreamwares where the tricycle comes out and it's got the blood behind it and then it melts. And I was like, ooh, that's so, just sitting in a mental ward and seeing a tricycle roll out is so scary to me, you know, especially as a kid. And so I was like, okay, we got to start with that. And then the puppet like lost his tricycle and has to come in and like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, and that's me, I'm voicing the puppet. And so it was just, it was fun. The puppet became a bigger part of it because we kept having so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that was that was a situation too where, Sam, uh, Byron Brown, who plays Sam, we had him in the TV. So he's like blue suit below, you know, practical arms, kind of like cheating angles. And then he's really pushing his head through this like thing that we built that's all practical. And it's so hot. We're putting every fan on him. His his makeup's like melting off. And we, we couldn't, scheduling wise, we couldn't figure out the timing to do that and do everything we need to do in the amount of days we had. So we basically moved, we did like a split shift and I moved most of the crew into the A shift and I would direct all day with the main main cast. Then then we then they would be in another room getting him all because it took like hours to get him ready through all that. Then I went in there and then I would step in each eye line of the actors as Sam's in the, you know, his head's up there in 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 the TV. And I'm I'm just, you know, so he's riffing back and forth to me. And then the actors, ne- so they never were in the room at the same time. Mm-hmm. So what ended up happening was at one point that we put the puppet down there as kind of like an eyeline. And I'm just like, I have to give, Sam- I, Byron's literally the funniest person I've ever met in my entire life. And he's an improv comic. Uh, he does all the skit stuff in Austin. That's how I first, first found out about him. And he's just so funny. So I was like, I need to, and because I didn't have any time constraints, because this was a set thing, it was just me for sleep. And I don't get any care about that. I'm going to show up and direct the next day. So I was like, look, let's just keep riffing and going. So I'm just like saying lines back to Sam and Sam saying lines back to the puppet. We're just arguing back and forth, you know, and I mean, I, we're going to put bloopers on the, on the Blu-ray because there's so many things that we had to cut that are so, it just takes way too long. Um, That's there, but it was, it was so fun to do. And yeah. And then this, we couldn't really, the puppet was kind of expensive to get made and it's another one of those again this movie's different you know uh, we don't it's the lowest budget movie that i have on our entire slate but um I was, and i remember talking with ashley my line producer and producing partner and she's like 
we can't afford the puppet and i'm like well i'm just i'm paying for the puppet then like that's fine so then i get yeah. to keep it right i was, I was gonna it. say that's a benefit too you get to keep it. yeah yeah it's great well and and now if if we're lucky enough to make a third one i'm gonna bring the puppet back yeah. and i even have him say it there's a part he's like see you all in the next one you know <laughs> uh and i'm like yeah let's just call our shot let's do a little back to the future three kind of thing you know yeah yeah uh the closing track in the movie is very fun too yeah yeah i'm i'm really proud of the needle drop that we got we got two big songs to me you know really big and again if it's if it matters to me then i feel i hope some other people will connect with but you know we got thunder in your heart which is um that's the montage song for beer pong and everything and and then it also there's a version of that that plays that plays um at the end um, when they're driving away and uh but that song is from the movie rad and so i'm like i needed to find the, a rad chat i wanted a rad theme song right, right and i'm like well, let's get more literal with this and let's actually use the song from rad which is yeah. really great and then uh miami connection i i saw that movie at fantastic fest when they brought it back in the the american uh genre film archive which is based out of austin and i know some of those guys when they kind of resurrected that film from ya kim i just i thought it was hilarious i thought it was such a funny movie and that song was amazing i thought the song was so good uh friends friends forever and i was like this is such a rad song so cool no pun intended and uh but and i was like okay well how could this work and alex uding he was the one who was pushing it first i will give him credit for that and i was like oh yeah i know the song we gotta do this we gotta find a way but it also kind of works for me because i feel like at the beginning if you look at scare package one you know sam wants to be rad chat's friend he wants to work there he wants right. to be a part of it and then when he's never allowed to kind of like have the career in horror that he wanted then he kind of goes awry right it, and, and takes his fandom to the wrong level and then he has this same level of indignation for the people that call horror a b movie or say elevated horror you know there's no elevated comedy like what the hell you know so like right. stupid shit like that elevated drama or something. Yeah. yeah exactly right it doesn't make any sense like uh -huh. it's just it's just a way to put down it's people who don't <laughs> right. like the genre and they just want to find a way to talk about it yeah, yeah. and then and compliment it uh, you know it's just it's just so bullshit. so how his intonation i could really parallel that to to jigsaw which i thought was kind of fun because they, they both get so misunderstood in their motivations and all of that kind of stuff but um but but he at his core it started out he just wanted to be friends so this idea of like friends forever you know and and i thought was really fun to like have that play when they're back in the video store mm -hmm. and diegetically you know and i thought that was a really cool opportunity and the only reason why we got that was because like i mentioned so i'm, I'm based out of austin texas and the american genre film archive which was owned at the time i think by draft house films and I knew those guys at Draft House Films pretty well, James Shapiro, who's now with XYZ and some other folks. And I was like, hey, you guys have the rights to this movie, which means you have the rights to the song that's in here. Mm -hmm. And and I ver we verify, not all the time it means that, but in this scenario, it definitely did. So they were like, it does, we'll give it to you for free, but we just sold Draft House Films. I'm like, no, like literally while we were talking. Um, so this other company, Giant Pictures came in and I kind of just just gave a pretty big plea to them, like, look, this is all this is. I can't afford to give you, you know, tens of thousands of dollars for the song. I understand it was in a big video game and other people paid, but like, this is what we're doing. It's a DIY film, you know, and they're a distributor. And I'm like, look, I, I make a lot of movies, 
like, you know, do me this favor and maybe I'll, I'll give you another movie or something or, you know, whatever, scratch my back, I scratch yours. And then they were, they, we, they, we negotiated a very, very small fee and, uh, and we got that song and I'm, I'm so grateful. So to get that and the, the John Furham, you know, uh, thunder in your heart is just so special for a movie of this size to get like that quality of needle drop that we can have on the soundtrack and stuff too, which we're now we're working on the soundtrack and we're trying to do a vinyl and everything too. So it'd be, be pretty, pretty rad if I may. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, scare package two and the first one are both on shutter. Do you think you, I mean, obviously you should watch them both. Uh, but if you've <laughs> never seen the first one, do you think you could watch the second one and know and follow the movie? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we tried to, you know, we gave that little Friday the 13th part two opening, you know, that's like her on the bed. It's like, no, no. And just flashing back to the yeah. old movie. We try to give you some tidbits that are there. Um, but, I, you know, I was surprised to learn how many people, especially in the festival circuit, you know, more than half the people at most of these festivals had not seen the first one. Mm -hmm. And especially in a lot of these different countries. And because it wasn't even released in some of those countries. And they loved it. You know, and they're like, oh, yeah, I kind of get it, you know, and I'm yeah. like, yeah, I guess it's nothing too complicated, you know, right, that we're right. doing. So I, I, it's definitely something you can come in and watch, but I really, there are a lot of jokes that are layered. And again, it's kind of like you, anyone who's not even a horror fan could watch this movie and potentially still have some good fun with it because it's so silly. You know, I mean, my girlfriend's not a diehard horror fan and she's loved, loved it as we moved along, um, you know, and, and different friends in the same realm. But if you do know the horror movies, you're going to enjoy it that much more. I think it's the same thing with Scare Package 1. If you do know Scare Package 1, I think you're going to like it that much more because it really kind of gives you some character stuff so you understand, you know, what's happening. And like, so who is this guy in this wheelchair and what happened to him and why is he rolling out there and what is he doing, right. you know, and where, and if you watch the first one, like he's getting pretty angry as it's happening. And there's even a line, we do like a, a little uh, window or sorry, a mirror jump scare. Cause you have to do mirror jump scares again, tropes. We do like a mirror jump scare and he appears and he's like, we're like, where have you been? And he's like, I'm here. I'll always be here. So then I'm like, see, Sam told you he'd always be here, you know? And, and that's what makes it really special without like spoiling anything too much, but it was fun. I, I had so much fun placing him in the background and scenes. And then like, you go back and if you go back and rewatch the movie, he's just sitting there, uh -huh. you know, and you don't notice. And then you see that and then you have to come back around and you're like, oh, my God, there he is. just right there. You know, <laughs> and that that was a lot of fun to kind of do, because, again, he's saying, like, you're not paying attention to me. I am here. Nobody's. And that's 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 where he's growing frustrated. You know, he wants someone and he wants to be noticed. He wants to be seen. We all want to be seen, you know, and there's a human, you know, not to get too <laughs> think about it. But there's a human element. Right, to that. Right. Yep. you know but then he's also just a complete asshole and i love it <laughs> yeah. yeah so when does the uh physical when does the blu-ray come out uh no clue no okay. clue <laughs> yeah <laughs> um i mean it's amc is uh going through some change to say the least right now so um we're we're working on the materials you know mm -hmm. and i'm coming up with everything that we can pack in there and you know what's blu-ray specific versus dvd specific and fun art stuff and you know what all the little easter eggs that i can do but uh yeah i mean my guess is it'll probably be march-ish it's probably you know that sounds about right but who knows they could release in in january for all i know it's not, not up to me you yeah. know yeah yeah well where can people follow uh scare package to scare package yourself you know to, to see uh, to get updates when things come out 
I am, uh, you know, look, <laughs> I, I am right now inundating every day the world with everything scare package because this is a small movie and we got to talk about it. So, right, right. you know, um, so you can follow me I mean, at Aaron B. Koontz, um, middle initial B, uh, everywhere, you know, Instagram and Twitter, especially I'm most active, a little bit on Facebook. And and I'm just talking movies the whole time. I'm talking about my friends' movies. Um, and then at Scare Package uh, on all three as well. And you can find all of that, you know, all of that stuff, scarepackagemovie.com. But yeah, mainly my Twitter for the most part is where I'm pushing most stuff. Um, I'm really glad that Twitter didn't completely go away because that's, I fostered like some really great friendships and right. just some wonderful people that have gotten to know, you know, over the years. Um, and especially like, you know, the mutant fam and, and the Joe Bob Biggs kind of, kind of group and everything has been really, really special. And I can't wait for them to see this and, you know, and, and, and what I've thrown in there. And, um, so yeah, but no, I mean, we're, we're out there and, and yeah, we'll, we can tell you all the inside info we're going to do a watch party on scare package two uh next week after christmas oh, we'll have cool. a night so we'll do like a tweet along thing and i have a number of the cast and crew they're going to help and talk about we'll post all kinds of bts stuff and fun things and uh yeah yeah but i mean you know if people like it talk about it it just means a lot you know we make this is uh my 20th or so feature film that i've, I've produced you know my fourth that i'm like you know writing directing and I, nothing has felt more special yet. And I hate to be like, they're all my babies, you know, and they're like, is it a Sophie's choice? It's not really. It's Scare Package and Scare Package 2 because they, again, reinvigorated my love for the genre and for filmmaking as a whole. And again, you can add up the budget of Scare Package 1 and Scare Package 2, and it's less than all the other movies that I'm making, <laughs> um, you know, but that's okay because it, it, it's uh it's just not it's not made for that it's just i actually think if it got too big budget it actually would harm the film i think there's a diy aspect that's why we also are hiring directors that i had some names really nameless but some big directors in the genre space that everybody would be very familiar with i mean not like jordan peele jordan peele said he wanted to do a scare package segment i'd be like yes jordan you are in <laughs> no, sorry, but, gonna, yeah. but hey i'm just putting it out yeah, there. Yeah. If he wants to I'm, I'm down i'm down to play yeah. you know he can, yeah, he can try it out i mean I, I, yeah. i'll probably have notes you know i'll probably have notes but uh it's fine no i mean yeah i look up to him so much but but we had a number of you know name horror directors that were interested i was like you know i really want to focus on just up and coming DIY, like figure this shit out. They haven't really made a feature, you know, and, and we're trying to do this. And then hopefully this can be a stepping stone for them. Cause that's, again, it's, it should be this kind of thing where we're like getting people, we're bringing up new people, we're introducing new people to it. There needs to be kind of a, and there's also just, you just have higher stakes, you know, that you're, you're like, I gotta make this one work versus like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do that thing. And it's like, they're doing us a favor versus the other way around. Right. And I think it goes it goes further, so that's that's important to me. But anyway, yeah. So you can you can follow us anywhere. And wonderful directors: Anthony Cousins, uh, uh, Rachel Wiggins, uh, Alex Barreto, um, you know, and Jed Shepard. They're all also on all the socials and uh, very active and wonderful, wonderful humans. And it was a joy to work with them and see what they do. And I learned a lot from them in the process for sure. This has been really fun. I'd love to do it again sometime. Yeah, yeah, we'd love to. We'd love to. Yeah, we have a lot of movies coming up too. So, yeah. Uh, do you want to mention any other, other? I know we're here to talk about Scare Package too, but anything you want to mention that you're on the uh, coming out? Soon? I mean, we've had, out? it wasn't really a horror film, but we had Old Man come out in October that Lucky McKee directed, Stephen Lang starred. Yeah, in. I have not seen that, but I, I was very interested in seeing it. 
Yeah, I, I love the movie. It's it's more of like a thriller, kind of like a mystery thriller. Um, and then in November, we had that I, I was the lead producer in that. And then November, we produced uh, Noah Segan's directorial debut, which was um, uh, Blood Relatives, which is on, on Shudder now. And that, again, spawned from Scare Package 1. I worked with Noah Segan there, and we were able to make a feature. And then obviously, we have Scare Package 2 that's out now. In January, we will have Sorry About the Demon, which is Emily Higgins' uh, feature, which again, spawned from the first Scare Package. So it stars even John Michael, the Mike Myers character from Scare Package 1. He's the star of the new their new film, Sorry About the Demons. It's a little bit of a rom-com uh, horror film. I, I say it's John Hughes meets James Wan, so which is which is fun. And then, um, then later in the year, we have uh, The Artifice Girl, which is a sci-fi film that won Best International Feature of Fantasia that Franklin Rich wrote and directed. It's got Lance Henriksen in it. Really, really smart, heady sci-fi serious like you know has really interesting things to say got a christmas horror movie called a creature stirring that damien levec did who made the cleansing hour that's coming out next year and then our, our big movie next year is uh shelby oaks chris duckman's shelby oaks that um i can't say too much about it right now but it was it, it, it's really special and uh it's going to be the biggest project on our slate and um we can't can't wait for everybody to see what we've done there that's no, very interesting. Very, very exciting. How, how did you, um, how did you become a, 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 get into producing? It, I became a director to protect my writing and I became a producer to protect my directing. And it really stemmed out of my first feature where I thought I needed this producer to get these things done. And then we got on set and um, let's just say it didn't go according to plan. And, and I was like, I can fuck up just as much as this guy, you know? Mm -hmm. So that became an opportunity and we're like, I think we can do this. And then scare package was our try. That was our first thing we produced with other people. That wasn't just like what we're doing. And, and it worked, you know, clearly and, and went well. And then, then we did the pale door and then I was like, okay, now I know I can, we can do this thing where we produce and I produce on the things I'm directing. And then Scare Package, you know, we got some taste of new directors. Now let's go and let's help, you know, other directors get things going. And, you know, so we were, and I think people saw that we had made, especially Scare Package and The Pale Door, which were both, you know, The Pale Door was a movie that everybody said was impossible to get made, didn't think we had the money. You know, every time I pitched it, it was like, you don't have enough to make it. And maybe that was partially true. Um, but I think had we not lost money in the middle of making it, we actually would have, it would have come out even better. But um, that's neither here nor there. But people saw that, oh, no, you did make that. You actually pulled off that movie. And then it was a hit. It did really well. And, you know, so, and we, the, the film made money and, and everything, you know, so it was like, oh, wow, this is, this is real. Like this guy, this Aaron guy who keeps telling me he's going to make all these movies is actually making the movies. And the next thing, you know, when the pandemic hit, we were one of the first companies that were helping like literally write some of the plans to go back to work, you know? So we worked with some of the unions, like we did so, some stuff that we got involved in and, um, you know, that that really kind of showed that we were able to safely do this during the pandemic. And then a lot of people hired us at that point. They're like, hey, I have a movie. And typically what happened is they would come to us and say, we've got $2 million. Here's the movie. It's supposed to be a $4 million movie. We don't know what to do. And I'm like, oh, uh, no, no, we can make this for $2 million completely. And let me show you how to do it. And here's how you put the dollars on the screen. And here's how you do this. And yeah, we started doing that. And and then, um, you know, look, the real secret is you get the money back to the people 
that's uh, invested and they're going to continue to do this uh, again and again, um, you know, and, and so I think we've just been very fortunate in that, in that realm and, and have hit a niche where we're, uh, you know, we're good. We're good at producing movies, you know, and, and getting things done and getting things made. And, um, and now I, I've, you know, once you, you, again, the more you make, the more relationships you have and, and the more people see that it can be done and they trust you. The problem is so many people go out and make movies. They never finish their movie. Like people don't really talk about that. Like how often that actually happens and this money gets lost and it becomes this like just cycle and it just, just goes down the drain. So we've become a company that has been reliable. We are on time. We are under budget. We run safe sets, especially during COVID. We had one positive COVID test over six films. Um, and that was because of a hotel person that caused that broke our own bubble that we weren't aware of. Um, you know, we can, we come up with like really crazy ideas. We made it, made a movie at a water park when that was closed. We made a movie inside a hotel when we couldn't even leave hotels in Canada. And we took over a holiday inn that was um, a convention center. And then we built the sets inside the convention center. So you right. walked out of your room and you walked right on the set and you came back in your room and we had everything catered and we literally never left that space for the entire movie. So things like that, we would, and, and, and they were, they were willing to work with us because they needed business. Right. Yeah. You know, so we took advantage of, you know, I hate to say it that way, but, but we did, we tried to take advantage of the situations that the pandemic was there. Cause I, I'm a big believer in, you know, if, if, they give you lemons, you got to make lemonade, you know, you got to find a way to make it work. A lot of creative stuff came out of, you know, a bad period in time, you know, not just like uh, Zoom movies, but uh, people did a lot of creative things. You know, Absolutely. Movies, maybe there's only a couple people in the movie, just a lot of, a lot of unique things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Old Man is like that. That was more of like a pandemic style film and that it's two people in, in a cabin, you know, what made sense. So that was, you know, you, you try to make some, but then there's others that we did are they're huge and they're all over the place and you know action oriented and all this stuff and you just you find ways to kind of creatively do it and again i'm i'm a big believer that these restrictions breed creativity mm -hmm. so i like being given parameters and then and especially i i love when someone says i don't i don't see how you could do it and i'm like okay okay you don't see how i can put bees in somebody okay fine right you know what i mean like we'll find a way to justify it you know right, and make right. it work so that's what excites me um and uh, i've just been one of those kind of uh, you know, against, not against authority, but just like this idea that someone is trying to tell me what I can't do just, just ignites me to do it that much more, you know, and especially when it comes to creative endeavors, you know, because I think to everybody's so caught up in what we should or shouldn't be doing or the jobs we should have or the careers we should have or whatever. And, and they want to, there's a lot of people that just go around and like, I want to do this. And they're like, why do you want to do that? And Kevin Smith had a really good speech about this. And he talked about just surround yourself with why not people, you know, and instead of that person who's like, you're like, Hey, I want to make a movie. They're like, why do you want to make a movie? Get that person out of there. Find the person who says like, I think I want to make a movie. They're like, yeah, why not? Yeah, go find why not people like, yeah, why not? And, and I think that becomes your special group. And cause it costs nothing to encourage an artist like, mm -hmm. like, you know, and, and why we get caught up in this, what we shouldn't do. Like instead, encourage them, you know, get them out there, push them to to figure out what their creative, you know, itches and scratch the hell out of it, you know? So anyway, diatribe, but no, you, get it, you get it. Yeah. Uh, real quick, do you have any advice for someone watching this who's never made something? What would you tell them to do? But then, uh, you know, I, they want to make something. 
Look, I do think there's this, there's a, there's some advice that's going around the past like 10 years. And I, I think it's getting a little, it, it kind of bugs me. So back in the day, you know, Spielberg and Kubrick and whatnot, it's like, you got to go make something. And I completely agree. It's like, you have to go make something. And I still agree with that mindset, but this idea that like, everybody has a phone, like anybody can do anything. Yeah. But you do need to learn some craft. I think you do need to take some time to kind of understand the type of story you want to make. Writing is free, right? That's your time. That's free. So get, get, write, rewrite, 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 get it to people who are not your aunts, who are going to tell you it's wonderful. They're going to give you real feedback and they're going to make it actually good. And then it more specifically, write to your strengths and write to production value that you have. So as a producer, I'm constantly, I'm kind of like in, in super eight where the kid's sitting there and the train goes by and he's like production value. And they have to swing the camera around. Uh-huh. That's me so much and everything, you know, for Shelby Oaks, when I was working with Chris Stuckman, he's like, yeah, I mean, I know I, 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 I did a, a series of videos at the Shawshank prison and we can get in there. I'm like, let's write something in the Shawshank prison now. You know, and so we wrote this huge set piece in the Shawshank prison and it adds the value that from so much higher because we knew we had access to it. So find out what production value elements you have. It's like, I know this abandoned building. I can use this gym for free. I can use this coffee shop. I can, my aunt's backyard has this, like rack your brain of all of the unique production value elements that you have. And then incorporate those into the best script that you can for the least amount of money possible, the least amount of characters and total locations, unless those locations are completely free. And then, you know, try and, you know, add in stylistic things, you know, sometimes like uh, sound can be very expensive. So like pick your sound days and then have like a couple of days where you're doing like montage style shots and things like that. So you don't have to pay for the sound designer for that day or the sound mixer for that day and just kind of get a bunch of those elements and, and plan it, you know, and get a really good first AD and a good, you know, producer that knows how to plan it and put this piece of the puzzle together and then, and then make every single person, you know, a part of that success. So if it's for a feature, make it a scene and a feature. And then if it costs $10,000 to make, then have that $10,000 be recoupable in the feature, right? So if your feature costs 300,000, say, nope, it's going to only cost 290,000, that 10,000 is there. And then all the people who put in that money and the time and the sweat and all that can then get rewarded for a short that you made. And 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 then I think that becomes something that's really special because they're investing in, in your future, literally and figuratively. Um, but yeah, it, it starts with the script. And that script should be around the strengths of things that you have. And then, yes, you don't have to rent the best camera and you can take that those adages and that advice of like, okay, now get get your phone out there and just go do it because it, it really can work. Um, but, but this idea of like, yeah, just go do it right now. Like I feel like- <laughs> right, right. Let's get up right now and go make, yeah. With no yeah, plans yeah. of any kind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, if you're 12, you know, and you're sure. like, you know, Spielberg and the Fablemans, like, yeah, go do that shit. You know what I mean? Like, Get your train totally set fine. out. Yeah. Exactly. Crashing. Sure. Yeah. That's fine. You know, and if you need to, if you don't know those basic elements, then you need to learn those basic elements and start there. Um, but, but if not, then, you know, get this stuff figured out. And then also volunteer to work on people's shorts. Those are there. They need people all the time or micro, micro budget features. Be the person who says, like, uh, I make a killer lasagna. I'll show up to your set with a lasagna, you know, and they're like, yeah, come. You're now craft services and you now have a job on the shoot. And now you're watching how this whole thing is getting made. And and so that experience is vital as well. But, yeah, you put all that together and then make something shitty, then make something less shitty, then make something that's like, eh, shit. 
And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, that thing was okay. And then once you're at okay, you're starting to say, now you're starting to find your voice. Then when you start to find your voice, then it's like, now you hone in and you, and you nurture it until you get something that's actually good. That's good advice. I agree. All right. Well, this go, has been a great go. time. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. No, I really, I, I agree. Oh, no, I thought it was a great time too. Yeah. Yeah. No, awesome. I love, again, I could talk movies all day. So no yeah, problem there. I could too. I didn't want to keep you all night, but uh, I thought it went very well. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate yeah. it. All right, I'm going to play us out with some uh, our music of the month. Uh, Dylan Mars Greenberg uh, sent in this track to close out the show. Thank him. And yeah. uh, you can stick around if you like. You can take off. It doesn't matter. But I'm going to play the song. And uh, thanks again for doing the show. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much. And thanks, everyone, for watching.
All right. Well, thank you, Mar uh, Dylan Mars Greenberg, and thanks for sticking around for this one. Yeah, no, it was cool. It's cool to see all the great people you had on. Oh, cool. Yeah, there's a lot of recent guests. So. Yeah, a lot of lot of pals too. It's great. Yeah, I figured there are some people we mentioned. I think during the interview. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Well, again, thank you so much for having me. I yeah, really thank you for it. doing it. All right. Cheers. All right. Bye.